How do you define self-care? Based on your own words, do you practice self-care? Why do you? Or why don't you? Do you want to strengthen your self-care practice? If this answer is yes, then you are exactly where you need to be. Hi, I'm Dr. Shana, mental health counselor, educator, and advocate, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the mental wellness practice. In this episode, we will define self-care, explore why it's important, talk about 10 tips to strengthen your self-care practice, including 36 common self-care strategies in the process. And by the end of the episode, you will be ready to prep your own self-care kit and strengthen your self-care practice. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. And if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. For more information, you can check out the show notes, follow me on Instagram at Dr. Shana, or reach out at drshana.com. There are so many reasons that I was drawn to create the mental wellness practice and share these important topics with you. One of those reasons was that I realized I really enjoyed being a podcast guest. I've been fortunate to chat with lots of wonderful hosts about a variety of topics within the realm of mental health. And each of those conversations, time and time again, I recognize how important this topic was and how passionate I am about it. And that's why I think I'm really fortunate to be sharing with you right now. One of the common themes in these conversations was self-care, naturally. And something that was consistent on each of these episodes throughout the different realms of podcast topics was that when we did explore self-care, we always started by discussing the definition of self-care. So guess what we're going to (laughs) do? How novel? No, but really, I understand why it's important to start with that definition. And I also understand when we're learning something new, even if we think we know a little bit about it, when we're learning more about that topic, it helps to get down to the nitty gritty. What is the word that we're even talking about? What is that definition? What does it mean? That's the foundation. And then we build on that. You may notice in the episode so far that that is a strategy that I think is really important for education in general, learning. But if we really want to cultivate mental wellness, I do think we have to start with those building blocks. But here's the thing. I'm more than happy to share my definition with you. It's a definition that I've spent a lot of time refining It's the definition that I felt so strongly about. I was willing to publish in the self-love workbook. It's the definition that I infuse when I'm working with clients in mental health counseling, when I'm teaching a course to, whether it's a workshop or a course to graduate students training to become counselors. So (laughs) I feel pretty good about the definition, right? I do think it works for a lot of folks. And with that being said, it's really important for me to make sure that I honor and that you honor your individuality. I mean, think about the phrase itself. It starts with self. That's why I chuckle a little bit when someone defines themselves as a self-care expert. 
It's also why people are confused when I shun that term, when they say that I'm one. It's too, I mean, I can't not laugh about it. I do hope that you become an expert in your self-care and I consider myself lucky to be able to help you in that process. Okay. Okay. So at the top of the episode, I asked you what your definition is, and I want you to still hold that in your mind as I share my definition of self-care. Self-care is the active practice of recognizing and tending to your needs in the given context. Let's just sit with that for a moment. Remember I asked you to hold your definition in mind when we bring that beside what I've shared. How does that fit? A lot of times when I do this with folks, they share, well, we kind of said what I said in just different words. That's great. That means that there's some alignment there. And for some people, there are aspects of what I shared. They realized they didn't really encapsulate in theirs and maybe they want to integrate. Perhaps that's you. And some causes a little bit of struggle. For example, what do you mean active? Active practice. What, what, what's the emphasis there? And what's the deal with context at the end? What, why do we need that word? Isn't that over-explaining? And I've thought a lot about these words. And again, I'm not saying that each one of them has to hold merit for you. But this is the practice that I use when I am integrating self-care for myself or for others who are looking for help in their journeys. And also, it's okay if each one of these words does not fit word for word for you. I want you to hold your definition tight as we explore today in our session. You don't have to agree with my definition in order to benefit from the rest of this episode. All you need to know that the definition that I shared with you is what sets the foundation for the rest of our time together. In episode three, we talked about how stress is an inevitable part of our lives and how if we're not careful, it can be dangerous. Now, I'm not going to repeat all of those risks here, but each and every one of those risks conveys why self-care is so important. So if you haven't listened to that episode, or if you can't remember much of it, and if you're questioning if self-care is important, you are strongly encouraged to pause here, pop back over there and listen. Consider this episode to be the counterpart to the episode on stress. Remember, I see self-care as the active practice of recognizing and tending to your needs in the given context. And if I were to switch up the words just a little bit, we could see that as the active practice of recognizing and tending to your stressors in the given context. So if self-care is how we cope with stress, it's how we survive at minimum. But if we're committed to mental wellness, it's also how we can thrive. From the paradigm of mental well-being, self-care isn't optional, it is essential. So now that we've cleared that up, it's time to strengthen your self-care practice. Here are 10 tips that may help you in your journey. 
Number one, diversify your options. In episode one, we explored the multiple dimensions of wellness, and each of those are great reference points for your self-care. They highlight what you need and may also shed light in the methods that you can utilize to meet those needs. Let's say, for example, one of those aspects of wellness that's important to you is faith or religion. Then perhaps reading scripture, prayer, or ritual could be forms of self-care strategies that are important to you. To use another example, let's say one of the slices of your wellness wheel pie is financial. Then some strategies to take care of your financial well-being would be working, budgeting, paying bills. So remember that our wellness dimensions tend to differ from person to person. So by me giving these examples, I am not saying that you should, one, have religion or finances as a part of your wellness wheel, nor that all of these suggestions that I gave as ideas for what might fit for someone need to be what you do for self-care. They're just for inspiration. I will say, though, that pretty much all of us will have something like physical well-being on there as part of our overall well-being and of course mental well-being and if that's confusing i strongly suggest you go back to episode one and then pop back over here number two familiarize yourself with your stressors this helps you to tailor the application of your self-care. Let's say you are super overwhelmed when you catch a glimpse of your calendar. You notice all of these important deadlines and tasks and events. It just doesn't seem like there's enough time in the day to get them all done. No matter how much you love a spa day, that may not be the right choice for that given amount of stress and types of stress or even the context. Now, that doesn't mean that a spa day is poor self-care. No judgment to that. Definitely no judgment because that is one of my favorite types of self-care. But it's about the tailored application. So even though you might love a spa day or fill in whatever else your favorite form of self-care is, it doesn't mean it's always the right fit and this can seem really discouraging because without this type of reflection, we think I am making time for something that I really enjoy and that I'm showing myself that I am worthy and I love myself by taking care of myself in this way. But oh, it just misses the mark. And I, I see people time and time again getting discouraged because it takes a lot of effort to make the time to do this big thing. Sometimes it's not big, but for this example, I'll use something that's big. And then it doesn't fit. Then you're sat, you're sitting there with all the stressors. And honestly, sometimes it gets worse, right? Again, if I were to use this example, you got tons of things to get done. And then you say, well, forget about all of these really important things that I acknowledge. I'm gonna turn the other way. Is that really what you need? And is that really what you require in that context? It might be something that you want. 
Yes, it might be something that you enjoy and it might be something you can have at another time, but it might not be the right application in that context. So again, please don't walk away from this thinking I am anti-spa day (laughs) or anti-bigger things for self-care. I think that those are great too, but I do think it's more important for us to know what our stressors are, pay attention to when they arise and have the right skills that match those stressors in that certain set of circumstances. There are many times that what we're doing for self-care will be something that we like. Many times what we enjoy, what we love. But I have to remind you that self-care is not just about doing the things we like. It's about doing the things that we need to be well. Over time, we might like those things, especially when we look back and say, I took care of myself and I see how that contribution helped for my overall well-being. But it may not be the things that we are most fond of in the moment. I think self-care gets glamorized a lot. And again, I'm not downing the merit of those things. But I think a lot of times we look for those shiny things instead of just really sitting with the reality of what we might need. And sometimes that can be uh, scheduling a doctor's appointment, taking the time to have a much needed but challenging conversation, setting boundaries. You could see these aren't bad things that we have to do, right? They just may give us a little bit of like, oh gosh, I have to do this. Do I have to? We may not be drawn to it as much. That's why that reflection of recognizing where the stressor is or what the stressors may be in that context help to remind us what we need and then what we can do about those needs. Number three, something that's free. A lot of times the stereotypical ideas of what self-care strategies are, are things that cost a lot of money or at least cost money, but many times a lot of money, a vacation, a special event, a fancy meal, a luxury present, something that comes in a nice wrapped box, or maybe that's just me. Now, these are forms of self-care. Again, not doubting those. But contrary to what many of the promotions in your inbox may say, Self-care does not always have to come with a price tag. There are forms of self-care that are free, and it's important that we remember that. It doesn't have to have a cost value to it. Some of my favorites that are free include deep breathing, stretching, stepping out into the sun, watching the clouds. By the way, that last one, I rarely hear other people say, You'll hear things like, I love the rain or the snow or going to the beach or the ocean in general, water. I don't know why clouds do not get the credit that they deserve. They really, yeah, okay. I'm going off on a tangent, but I am here to advocate for our clouds, okay? I hope you're laughing at me or with me, with me, right? Because I'm laughing about it, but also cloud watching. Don't sleep on it. So 
it's free. <laughs> there may be some other free things that are more appealing to you, but I do think it's important that we all have something accessible within our self-care practice that is free. I think it can be discouraging a lot of times when we think you have to buy something or invest in something. And yes, that applies, but not always. I know that some of you might get a little philosophical here. I was going to say philosophical. <laughs> philosophical here and say that everything comes with some sort of a cost and that's fair. There may not be a financial price tag on it, um, but it might cost you something, right? Like if I take this hour for myself, then I am not giving this hour to something else that's also very important. And I understand that and I'll come back around to how we tend to that in another tip. I just want to say that that's fair, but for this, I am talking specifically about the financial aspect of things because time and time again, when I speak to people about what are the obstacles standing in their way from taking care of themselves, it's because they're constantly citing something that comes with a dollar value. So, you do not have to always buy your wellness. Don't want you to think that self-care and spending are synonymous because it isn't. And I also want to highlight that it might not be something that is technically free, but it's something that's accessible. And many times it's because it's something that you already purchased. So there's no additional cost, but you might not be utilizing it. I like to encourage people to like, wherever you are right now, if it's safe, pause and look around. If you're driving, you know, maybe don't look around too, too much, but um, be aware of your surroundings. But if you're sitting in a room, if you're hanging out, if you're, you know, washing dishes in the kitchen, or if you're just laying down, take a moment and look around you. What are the things that you have accessible there that you've already purchased at one time or another? There's no additional cost, but you can utilize it in your self-care practice. Maybe you already have, and maybe you haven't. I think for lots of people, they mention like, I bought this really cute journal. It's, I love the, the print on it and the phrasing. And I have these art supplies that I want to use. There's this book that I bought and I haven't made time for. This is what I'm talking about. It may not be entirely free, but it's free in this present moment because you already paid for it. So there's no additional cost to use it. Think about the things that you have no financial contribution to in order to access each time. Those are really important parts of self-care, especially because there are lots of things that cost money, but not everything has to cost your well-being. Number four, something that is easy. Now we just covered something that's free or at least accessible. And I want to highlight that many times that paves the way for something that's easy. I don't have to leave my space. It's right here. I've already purchased it. There's no additional cost. So that does factor in here. So there can be something that's free and easy. But that's not the only way something can be easy for you. It could also just come naturally to you too. 
I think a lot of times when we are thinking about self-care, we look beyond ourselves. And I get that. I did the same thing. You want to see what other people are doing and what, especially if it seems to be working for someone else, we get inspired. And I think that is a really good thing. There's no need to recreate the wheel. However, this is why I emphasize our personal exploration of self-care. It is so subjective. And even though we might have people who are like-minded and we have shared interests and we might have parallels in our paths, it by no means means that what works for one person is guaranteed to work for you. And I've seen a lot of people get discouraged because they see, you know, like say a group of friends and everyone starts out, I'm going to do this thing. I tried it. Who wants to try it with me? Everyone gets on board. There's that social support and it works for other people. And then it's like, why doesn't this work for me? There's a lot of reasons to why that may be, but one is that it's just not meant for you. Self-care is so subjective. It's recognizing what your needs are in the context that might differ from someone else's needs or someone else's context or both. So it's great to have inspiration from other people, and I'll come back to that later, but also you need to know what works for you. And in doing so, you might find some skills that come so naturally for you that it may have an ease to it, that it might not for other people. I'm wondering if you're already thinking about what that might be, (laughs) but I would say that even thinking about that, that's an act of self-care because you're really sitting with, who am I? And that can be a big daunting question, but it's a powerful one too. Who am I? What do I like? What do I enjoy? What am I drawn to? I'll come back to some of those later, but I want to share a little bit of a hack for this, especially if you're sitting with like, um, self-care does not come easy for me. Uh, That's why I'm listening to this. I'm hoping that it can come easily for me in the future. And I hear and respect that. But I also think you might be ignoring the things that do come easily for you because they might be different from others. So here's the hack. Think about little you. If you can get under the age of 10, that'd be great. I know that's hard for some people to access sometimes. I would share that it would be really wonderful if you can really connect to you age five or younger. You can visualize little you carefree. What were you drawn to then? I don't know why, but as we age, we start to let go of these certain things and think like that's, that's child's play, right? That's something that just kids do. I don't need that growing up. But a lot of those things that we were drawn to back then, we may not have realized it, but that's how we were coping. That was our self-care. Sure, we may have been encouraged to do it by parents, family, teachers, etc. But it's also what we were using to regulate. And just because we didn't make that connection doesn't mean that it doesn't have any merit. When I think back to little me, 
it's so it's so quick and easy for me to think about what was fun for me. I loved imagining. So giving myself the space to just like create, be free, you know, playing make-believe and pretend. Oh my gosh, I could escape into that. What feels to me now is hours. I'll have to fact check that with my family if it was hours or not. Maybe it was just 20 minutes and it felt forever. But, you know, going into my imagination was definitely something I recognized now worked for little me, coloring, dance. And I now try to infuse that in my adult life and my own ways, especially when I need that direct hack to something that I don't have a lot of time for, but I can just know that it will come with an ease. So I encourage you to think about what may be naturally occurring for you, what you're drawn to and what little you may need. Number five, something quick. A lot of self-care can happen proactively to keep you as balanced as possible before something comes along like a stressor and puts you off kilter. But self-care is also essential in that aftermath when something happens, perhaps unexpectedly, and you need to find your footing. Especially in times when we're highly dysregulated, really thrown off, perhaps a set of stressors hit us at one given time. The quick self-care strategies are key in these moments. Because in those moments of chaos, we struggle to think clearly. We struggle to be aligned. We struggle to exist with our highest selves. And a little bit of self-care happening quick, swift, can help us maybe not get all the way down to equilibrium, but we can get even closer to our footing. Even one step makes the difference when you are feeling super dysregulated. So quick self-care skills are important. Some examples include practicing squared breathing, tuning into your five senses, walking away, having a snack, reciting a mantra. These can often be used to find your grounding in the moment and are best used when they're paired also with the insight that you need some reactive self-care later on when the context permits. So to use as an example, if I am highly dysregulated, what I have found is really the best skill for me to kind of get myself close to grounding or as close as possible is yoga. Now, there are lots of circumstances where I'm not sure it's the most appropriate thing for me to just drop into a vinyasa. <laughs> I'm thinking about, I mean, I guess I could do it right now. I'm not dysregulated right now, but I guess I could. That would be an interesting thing to listen along to. I'm thinking about a lot of times in my professional world, right? I, when I'm working, helping clients in counseling, that's not the best. If I'm teaching a workshop, that's a little odd. I mean, I'm sure you can think of lots of places that your ideal self-care strategies are not the best fit for that context. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be helpless in that. You might be able to extract some components of that ideal self-care that can be integrated quickly in that moment to get you one step closer. And then when the context permits, you can expand into that wider form of self-care. So while not all spaces are conducive for yoga for me, there might be aspects of yoga that are helpful for me that I can infuse in those moments, like taking a mindful moment, tuning into my breath, paying attention to my body cues. Number six, pay attention to what you're drawn towards. When you're brainstorming self-care strategies, you might catch yourself saying things like, I wish, fill in the blank, or it might be easier if I could just fill in the blank. You might turn away from these thoughts and I see how what I'm about to suggest could seem counterintuitive, but I wanna highlight that it is productive to lean into those thoughts. Allow yourself the space to explore those things. What are they? Can you get them in some capacity? I'm thinking back to the last skill set that I was sharing with you of yoga. Of, yeah, I, I wish I could do yoga right now, but I can do something from it. That's an example. So something you're drawn to, and maybe you might not have that bigger thing, but you can have a component of that. But also it might not be something you can have soon. You might need to then think about can you have it ever? And if not, the exploration of that can be an act of self-care. What is it that you're seeking from getting that specific thing that you're longing for? Can you get it, but it's just not accessible to you right now? Are there building blocks to get there? And if there are, those building blocks are self-care strategies. Number seven, be patient. A lot of us weren't encouraged to practice self-care throughout our lives, at least not in the form that we're talking about right now. I wish I could tell you that it's just the flip of a switch. You recognize that self-care isn't selfish and then poof, the motivation is instilled and you are doing all the things with ease to foster your well-being. I really wish that were the case. It hasn't been the case for me. And in working with others in their self-care journeys, it takes a lot of time, consistency, grace, and above all, patience. So please pace yourself. You may set the intention of practicing self-care, and that is a worthwhile one. And if it's not feeling like any form of stress reduction, or you try a self-care strategy and it doesn't work for you, it's easy to get discouraged. I totally respect that. But reminding yourself that it will take time, especially if you're trying to honor your individuality and respect yourself, then it will help in the overall process. So it takes time to recognize what your stressors are, to know the different sets of skills that can be attuned for that given stress or stressors, to follow through with it, to reflect on how it worked or if it didn't work, 
it can seem like a lot of work when I pay, when I really expand it that way. Um, over time, it won't feel that way. And over time, it gets better and better that it becomes easier. But I want to honor that in the beginning, it can be, it can be challenging and you can get discouraged, but you are worthy and deserving of an adequate self-care practice. And for most of us, mm, I'll go ahead and say each and every one of us, it is an ongoing journey. There is no peak to arrive to. It is the journey itself. Self-care has to change over and over again because our context does. So know that it is a lifelong process. And if we're not just doing a sprint, and if it's the long run, we'll need to be patient with ourselves. Number eight, create a habit. If we want to practice self-care, we have to be more consistent about at least turning towards self-care. I know we've spoken a lot about the need to tailor your self-care, understand your stressors, and that is very important. However, just because our stressors change and some of them may be unexpected, doesn't mean that we can't create a habit of turning towards self-care. So it's the little things we do over time that show that we choose our self-care. The methods may differ, but it's about creating that neural pathway that lets us know that shortly after our stressor, we're going to take care of ourselves and we'll continue to take care of ourselves in the different forms that we need to match that context, despite a stressor being present or weighing on us. So with that being said, I know that creating a habit does take a lot of time. There's a lot of different research on how much time. So I'm not going to really say how consistent you need to be. I want you to think about what is doable for you. I know a lot of times when I ask people for like, can you give an hour? Can you give 30 minutes? Sometimes it feels like this negotiation. And I don't want to start there with you. I want to start from the bottom and let it grow up. Can you dedicate one minute of your day to self-care? A lot of times when we look at it that way, all of a sudden it's, well, okay, a minute, like, of course I can do that, but okay, then commit to it one minute every day. It can be something different. It does not have to be the same thing. It can, if you'd like for it to be, but that can help you create that pathway of turning towards self-care when we need to. Number nine, seek support. I think it is a huge misconception that self-care has to happen by yourself. I couldn't be further from the truth. Now, that's not to minimize the reality that there are some forms of self-care that we may prefer to be by ourselves independently turning inwards, and we might not feel comfortable sharing that exploration with other people, and that is okay. However, it doesn't mean that all self-care strategies need to happen siloed. There's a huge benefit to having social support for your self-care. Now, that can include having the community, having accountability, the mutual support that you can offer one another. And you can be doing your own thing, but even in tandem, 
So I think that's a huge revamp that if you've ever thought that self-care has to happen by yourself, ooh, that can really shift things if you're willing to recognize that other people can be a part of that journey too. It's also understandable if you don't have access to other people who are supportive of your self-care journey. That can happen. And it doesn't mean that you're without support though. Yes, it's nice to have social support, but there are other resources out there for you if you're willing to. You might want to read a book, listen to a podcast, look at you doing that, take a class, or even seek professional help. Of course, I strongly encourage if you're having these roadblocks, and especially if by this time in the episode you're realizing a lot of this seems a little daunting, I certainly encourage mental health counseling. But in any of those wellness dimensions, if you realize that you are needing to improve your self-care and you don't have the support you are looking for, then seek that support. Maybe it's a physical trainer. Maybe it's a financial advisor. There are lots of different forms in each realm, but please know that self-care doesn't have to happen alone. Number 10, step into self-love. Sometimes you're putting a lot of effort towards better caring for yourself. You're doing all the things that seem right. For many of you, you may have been following along on this checklist and saying, I do that. I do that. Goodness, I do that too. So what's going on? Why does it seem like something is lacking? You may feel like your efforts are falling flat. You're still not happier, balanced, aligned, fulfilled, whatever the overall goal was for your well-being. And I want to highlight that that is not your fault. Many times when that happens and you're doing all of the things that are aligned, it's a sign that there are genuine obstacles in your way. It's more than self-care. There may be unhealthy relationships, generational patterns, toxic environments, diagnoses, the list goes on. There may be genuine obstacles that are in the way that you cannot absorb your self-care without broadening into self-love. And if you're left now thinking, okay, that might be me, I might need to delve into self-love then I hope you'll join us in the next episode. Our activity for today is the self-care kit. Now I know some of you are working along in the self-love workbook and it is a really helpful resource for what we're covering today in particular, but a lot of the topics that we explore in the mental wellness practice. And if you're working along with it, know that there's an entire self-care chapter right in the middle of the book that can help you delve into this further. You don't need it to do this activity, but it could be a helpful resource. If you're working alongside in the workbook, I encourage you to try to go through that chapter first before delving into what I'm sharing, or at least take a look at it. Now, to jump into the self-care kit. For some people, this is literal. If you tend to do well with experiential, hands-on types of activities, then I do encourage you to find a tangible container of sorts for this. Now, of course, all of your self-care strategies won't fit in there. A lot of them might not be practical. 
However, you can use symbols, notes, or representation of those skills, and you might find that to be helpful. Now, the reason why I want to share this activity with you is that a lot of people make the mistake of waiting until stress peaks to figure out what works for their self-care. That's, that's not going to be you, well, at least not anymore, because now if you're focusing on honing a self-care kit that can be refined over time with the strategies that you know have worked for you, tend to work for you often, and the strategies you want to try, then you have a set of skills that you can turn to when you recognize that you are not regulated. In the moment of dysregulation, it's really hard to think clearly at all, much less think clearly, know to turn to self-care, figure out what's the best self-care in that moment. But again, if we strengthen our self-care practice, all of that hard work tends to kind of refine over time. And again, if you have something that's more practical, that can be helpful, but otherwise it could be just a notes tab on your phone, a list you have in a journal. I like to have a paper version that I contribute to over time and I stick that in my um, self-love workbook. And I have a smaller version in the self-love planner that I use too, but those are just ideas that I use. With full transparency, my bedside table has also kind of just become a widened self-care kit as well. Um, something I've also started to do, this is more recent, I would say, in my self-care practice, is that's not the only area that I would encourage you to have a kit. So mine, again, bedside table in my room. That's because a lot of times I reconnect at, in the evening and right before bed. It helps tremendously with my stress and my general anxiety. And maybe it'll help for you too. But wherever or whatever time you find best to carve out in your schedule, that might be where you want to access your self-care, but more specifically access your self-care kit. However, <laughs> I have a lot of howevers, but there's a lot of things to consider. Self-care doesn't always happen in, or my need for self-care doesn't always happen conveniently when I'm home or in my room or at night, right? So this thing that I've started to do more recently is creating more of like these mini go-to kits in different spaces. So even my living room has like this little basket that has more, I guess, more physical self-care things now that I think about it. There's lotion and like nail supplies, a gua sha. Um, there's some essential oils in there too. And that's in my living room. Not that I don't have those in my handy dandy go-to bedside self-care kit, but these are for, you know, when I'm working throughout the house. My office has different self-care um, or different components in the self-care kit. And I have a different self-care kit that I share with clients versus the one I have for myself. Not that that has to be the case, but it is self-care at the end of the day. Some of the things in my office self-care kit are some multiple colored pens, not some multiple colored pens, because it's odd how much self-care that gives me craft materials, journals, Oracle cards, crystals, 
And I've recently started creating this little like zip bag for the car too. And even, you know, what I like about creating these different kits and go-tos is like, they're there, they're accessible. So it helps you to create that habit of turning to what you need. Sometimes just seeing them there is a visible reminder, almost like, hey, use me. So that can help if you're trying to turn towards or create a habit. And if there are specific things that you're going through or find challenging, even the act of kind of curating this little kit or reminder set can be really helpful. I know that this is something that, you know, I'm just saying that out loud and I have this, I'm flashed to the most helpful self-care kit I ever made. And that was for labor and delivery. And I am so glad that I made that. Um, some things in there were affirmation cards, not in the play in there, but I had playlists, essential oils, comfortable clothes, right? So that's a self-care kit. And I know a lot of people are packing their hospital bags. And what if we thought about it more as a self-care kit or included a little self-care kit in there? Also, pretty much for all of my doctor's appointments now, but I started making specific self-care kits for um, labs because I tend to struggle with those and run faint. And I have oil, peppermint oil, candy, crystals, lidocaine, juice or water, and I make those too. So I share all these vast examples. You know, remember, this is my subjective experience, so you might not be drawn to any of those things. But my point is if you have something to go to, tangible could be helpful, but even if it's just a list, that's fine too that will help you refine your practice over time and having different places, especially spaces, you know, that you will be in often or spaces you will find yourself most stressed. It's a proactive self-care strategy overall to create these little kits to help yourself. Now, as you're creating your kit, I encourage you to go through the 10 steps or the 10 tips rather, and see if you can come up with five things in each area to infuse into your kit. It's okay if there are duplicates, but I would challenge yourself or I encourage you to challenge yourself to diversify the different options. Remember, that's tip number one. While you're doing this, you might notice that there's overlaps, that there's something that comes up for five different tips of this is what I want to try. This one I want to try. This is what I try and try. And yes, I want you to come up with something different. And I want you to honor that something keeps coming up because that may be a go-to form of self-care. It might be easier for you. It might be something that comes natural. And as you know, from one of the other tips, that's important. So now that you have your list, well, I know you don't have it right now. Let me, let me clarify. If you have it right now, that's kind of incredible. If you were able to do that that fast, good for you. But I recognize it's going to take some time. I encourage you to pause throughout this episode, revisit it as you need to, to guide yourself in that process. But when you have that list, and even if it's a starting list, I encourage you to think about that practicality of time. 
where can you fit them in this week? I've really enjoyed speaking about self-care with you. This definitely won't be the last that you hear me talk about self-care. It really is a cornerstone to not only what I focus on as a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate, but truly what I believe is a cornerstone for mental wellness. So as we continue in the mental wellness practice, we will definitely be looping around to self-care. And in the next episode, we'll be building on what you explored today as we explore the seven segments of self-love. Thank you for learning and growing with me. I'll see you next time.